off in motion. It's a toss right. Galvin turns it up to the five. Walks into the end zone. Yes, he does. Touchdown, Vikings! Out of the shotgun. He goes back to pass. Daniil Hunter looking for a triple. And he got it! Three sacks by Daniil Hunter. And that one goes all the way back to the 27-yard line. It's a loss of 12, and Matt Prater will walk in to kick. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Minnesota Vikings podcast. This is your host, Chris Corso, along with producer Jay Nelson. We are excited this week as the Vikings got back on track 9-4 and with a 20-7 victory over the Detroit Lions. Jay, we're in a pretty good mood this week. Yeah, you're looking at a final three-game season. What you saw on Sunday probably makes you feel pretty good about what we could potentially do. Yeah, the Vikings now become the only team in the NFL, 6-0 and at home. Obviously, two more to go. They're both division games against the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears. But this was a game against the Lions. They really didn't let the running game get going at all. 70 total rushing yards. And then you see Daniil Hunter just making his impact felt very quickly as he became the youngest rusher of all time to reach the 50 sack mark at his age. How unbelievable is that, Jay? I think it's 25 and 40 days is when he hit the record. It was a really good game for him, and uh, overall the defense with their five sacks really made an impact. All the complaints about the Vikings defense in the Seattle game, giving up those 37 points. In this game, it was a little bit different. They held the Detroit offense to 96 yards in the first half, a little cheapo touchdown to Kenny Galladay at the end of the game. So the Vikings pass rush was felt all over. It also helps on the front end when they get home like that because it helps force mistakes by quarterbacks, especially like Blau. Smith and Sadeo got the interceptions in this game, and uh, it's great to see the defense really solidify and, and just shut a team that they're supposed to down. Yeah, that that's the biggest takeaway for me is the last home game we played was against a team like the Denver Broncos who had a similar type of young quarterback, not a lot of film on Brandon Allen, and he came through and did something which we all were not expecting and put a ton of points on the board to start the game. That's not what happened in this game. The Vikings established their defense. It was one of those real defensive performances at home that we're expecting of this team every time they take the field at U.S. Bank Stadium. The the Lions really didn't have any chance. So let's we, we went over the defense. I want to go over to the offense now. Obviously only 20 points scored, but my biggest takeaway for the Vikings offense that put up 354 total yards is that while we did win the game and we knew the game was over pretty much in that third quarter, we didn't give away a lot of our our plays going into the last three games of the season. We didn't show too much, and we were able to really give Dalvin Cook a break for the second half of this game. Yeah, and that's the thing with Dalvin. You know, the last couple weeks he's been nicked up, and I'm sure when they looked at this one they said, we scored the first touchdown, everyone kind of felt like we were somewhat in cruise control. I know Zimmer had brought up in one of the press conferences that they'd like to see a little bit more killer mindset, but at the same point, you know these guys are looking at this one going, let's get out of here without an injury, and let's get out of here, complete control, and know that if we can do this again coming up in the next three games, we're going to be sitting pretty. 
The, another big takeaway for the Vikings offense is Cousins, man. He found 11 different wide receivers, one being Garrett Bradbury, who kind of took advantage of a mistake. The, the lone mistake that Cousins made in this game with a little pressure coming towards him, and he threw the ball right in the heart of one of the Lions defenders, and Garrett Bradbury ends up catching that ball. But um, the bigger takeaway is the way that Kirk Cousins, without Adam Thielen, is able to spread the ball around to all of these targets like B.C. Johnson, Irv Smith, Laquan Treadwell, even in in the past few games, has really been a safety point for him to throw to in the offense. Kyle Rudolph, of course. But the big play was a play-action pass, rolls out to the right, and finds B.C. Johnson in the corner of the end zone. My biggest um, takeaway from that play is that Kirk put the ball in a spot where only B.C. could catch the ball. In the last couple weeks, you've seen him throwing higher on his targets. He's been doing that for Rudolph when he's been making his one-handed snags. Even in this game, you saw Stephon Diggs have to kind of sky up to grab one even on the sideline. The thing that you always love watching about Rodgers and other quarterbacks like that that are the elite of the elite is they're putting the ball in a window and you're going, how is this person on defense supposed to try and protect this? The fact that you know they're making these catches is huge for us, and it just means that the defense has no shot. It's crazy because I think Kirk, when he was in here for under center this week, we had Dalvin Cook as the guest. You should go check that out as soon as possible because Dalvin was awesome on that segment. But Kirk talked about the trust that he has in some of these wide receivers. And, and it's impressive to me because these are not the Adam Thielens and the Stefan Diggs. We know the trust is there with those guys. He trusts these guys to go yeah. up and make a play on the ball. And you have to. I mean, if you're in that game, that's what they need. You're going to be where you're supposed to, when you're supposed to, and you're going to make that grab when you get a chance. Wrapping up on Kirk Cousins, 24 for 30. I mean, you, there's not much more that you can ask from the Vikings quarterback, but it's going to be a big test against three good teams coming up on the schedule. Yep. One last player I wanted to touch on, too, was Stephon Diggs, because Diggs was doing Diggs-type things once again this week. Last couple weeks, he'd been getting some criticism for dropping some passes that he normally catches, but this week there wasn't any issues with that at all. He had the uh, toe-drag grab on the sidelines in which he and Darius Slay were going back and forth on social media, giving each other some mad respect. And then he hit the 44-yard haul-in right before the half that set up Delvin Cook's touchdown that basically put the game out of reach. So kudos to Stephon Diggs and everybody for continuing to hum along. And if we get this kind of Stephon Diggs for the rest of the season, we're going to be sitting pretty. Diggs is as good as they come in the NFL at tracking the ball over his shoulder. And I think the combination of the deep ball from Cousins and the play that Diggs made on the ball, that play was as good of a throw as Kirk has made all year. All right, Chris, it's all well and good with Detroit, but... What does this early mean for the last three games of the season with the playoffs? Yeah, so the Vikings are 9-4, and four, and that leaves them at the sixth seed in the NFC. The NFC is very, very top-heavy this year. It really is unbelievable because you have the two teams in the NFC West, the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks, that are battling it out a few games ahead of the Vikings. So that that those two teams are going to be really tough to catch with only three games to play. And the Vikings sit one game behind those Green Bay Packers in the NFC North. So for the Vikings, they're going to have to get a two-game switch because the Green Bay Packers have the advantage with the tiebreaker over the Vikings. Yeah, due to that win that they had in Green Bay earlier this season. This upcoming weekend, Packers versus Bears, is going to be very, very critical for us. We're heavily rooting for the Bears to pull one out this weekend. What it really means for us is if you win all three games and you get the Packers to drop at least one of these last three, then that means that you leapfrog them and you're potentially, potentially sitting in a three-seed 
hosting a playoff game. It's crazy because the Vikings can either play the Green Bay Packers in the first round as the sixth seed, with the Packers being the three seed in the NFC North, or it can flip-flop if the Vikings find a way to win out the three games and the Packers lose two of three, it would flip-flop. The Vikings would then be the three seed, and the Packers would most likely be the sixth seed. And if you as a fan would love to uh, work through every single scenario possible, I highly recommend wasting a ton of time during your day using the ESPN playoff machine with the scenarios because you can literally go through the entire league and the rest of the schedule for the next three weeks and figure out exactly what you think is going to happen. All right, Jay. Well, as we said, the Vikings sit at 9-4 and four with three games to go. The next game on the docket is against the L.A. Chargers. We'll get into that a little bit later. That's in Los Angeles. But the final two games are ones that a lot of these fans have had circled on their calendar for a very long time. December 23rd, the Vikings will take on the Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football. I'm going to knock on wood, as I always do, because Aaron Rodgers has not won a game in U.S. Bank Stadium, and hopefully we keep that streak going as I knock on wood here. 100%. The final game of the season is going to be a tough one, and we don't want to think about the final game last season because it's the same opponent, and that's the Chicago Bears. Last year, the Chicago Bears were the ones who played spoiler and left the Vikings out of the playoffs with that tough loss. I like to believe that this team has taken that loss as motivation heading into this season, but that game is going to have ramifications for the Vikings and possibly the Bears who are battling for a playoff spot here. And that's the thing for us, as long as you handle your business, it'll get to Week 17, and hopefully by then it's completely irrelevant for them. That is the plan, Jay. So I think it's a perfect time to go to our guest of the week, and that was ESPN.com's Courtney Cronin. We actually had her on the Minnesota Viking podcast as a guest during training camp, and we made her do a little, what, like Mad Libs, Jay? It was basically fill-in-the-blank section, and it was kind of pick her brain as to going into the season what she thought was going to be the critical components for this team to be successful. We figured we'd crack open the list again, hand it to her, and see what she felt at the back end of 2019. All right, we have a familiar guest, Courtney Cronin from ESPN, who joined us, what was that, training camp when you were here? Like the second or third week of August. You laid down the law for the Vikings season <laughs> that Tried day. Tried to. <laughs> now we're going to actually revisit some of the fill-in-the-blanks that we had. Our uh, producer here, Jay Nelson, has come up with some of the information that we had to say that day. I went through and dug through uh, uh, kind of the discussion points that happened at that point. But I guess first, Courtney, I would ask you, uh, do you want to give us your assessment of what you've seen so far this season? Sure. And then we'll kind of dive back into then and now and see how it how you feel at the same point. uh, I love Mad Libs. Sure. This is uh, this is a treat. So I guess I'll start with first one says special teams is blank compared to last year, and I was trying to rack my brain of what I could have possibly said about special teams in training camp at the point of August 14th, which was right around the time that they bring a new kicker in, have a long snapping competition, kind of in the thick of that. So I will say special teams is overhauled compared to last year because I I really can't find the right adjective to describe the way that they've played this year. Um, Other than the personnel is the first thing that you look at and say, there are not a lot of familiar faces back there, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. At that time, you had the discussion going on about what's going to happen with Vedvik, Mm -hmm. what's going to happen with Austin Cutting. We had had just traded for Corey Vedvik. So you had all that stuff going on. didn't make it through training. Yeah, (laughs) and that was it. So you had all of these unknowns. And uh, the answer from before was special teams is in the same spot compared to last year because 
I think your, your, your feeling at the time was that we were still kind of unsure of what was going to happen and, and to see how it was going to solidify. And in the end, it completely flipped on its head, yeah. g- given what we had discussed from before. So I guess, you know, at this point for you, kind of what is your assessment, at least at how special teams has worked out this season and, and what you kind of see uh, moving forward? I think Dan Bailey's where I start there. He's been terrific this season. Really, really good. And you think about what was going on at the time that we taped in August. Uh, there's a kicking competition. He's getting, he has a different holder all the time. There's a long snapping competition. And the way that he went through all of that didn't miss a beat once they started bringing guys in. Because you think about that first part of camp, yep. there was the one training camp uh, before that uh, New Orleans game where he missed three field goals in a period. And I remember he kind of did the walk of shame over to the side field and was kicking on his own. You realize, okay, Mike Zimmer's going to be bringing in somebody here because he's not liking the way that this was going. And you realize at that point, it's not the kicking game. I mean, it's it's the battery that they were trying yes. to fix. And it seems like they really have gotten a good grasp on that. Are special teams as explosive as maybe Zimmer wants? I don't know. I don't think you're. I just don't think you're seeing return touchdowns much anymore. Um, they've had some coverage issues from time to time this season, but by and large, I think this is probably a middle of the pack unit. I think if you look at most FPI rankings, things like that, um, probably anywhere from like you know the 12 to 15 range amongst the league. And we're coming off a game where Dan Bailey was 3-for-3 and made a 50-plus yard field goal, which was great to see. Coach Zimmer continues to just back Bailey in those press conferences when you guys are peppering him with questions. (laughs) He's he's pretty confident. The, The next one was defensive depth. Our defensive depth is... Showing up in the right moments. Like that. It's they're like I think back to this past weekend when they played Detroit and how they were able to rotate cornerbacks in because that's something Mike Zimmer wanted to do specifically for that game. Um, I think it kind of points to the struggles that Xavier Rhodes has had uh, and realizing that you need to get at some other bodies and you need to play to matchups better. You're not having anybody shadow a number one receiver. You're not playing sides, but you're fixing it by using more personnel, using more more bodies to maybe give Xavier and Trey a rest on this series. Bring in Mike Hughes. Holton Hill, um, things like that. So I'm, I'm curious because uh, with the defensive line too. Like yeah, I was about to say, what about the defensive line? They were really good this yeah. past week. I think guys that's like Afadi Odenabo yeah, and and uh, Stephen Weatherly's been really good, yep. and, and Jaleel Johnson got that sack against Detroit. Um, the biggest issue I've noticed that they've had this year is just like a lack of interior push. Um, Shamar Steffen's just not that guy uh, for from a pass rushing standpoint. I mean, he's a great run stopper, but you knew once you were getting rid of Sheldon Richardson and going to sign Shamar Steffen that that's probably what you were going to get. So the defensive ends are doing their job, and you're seeing an incredible level from Daniil Hunter, an incredible level still from Everson Griffin. Uh, it's just kind of what I've been concerned about looking at is, okay, well, if, if guys are stepping up in the pocket and because the ends are collapsing uh, everything from the outside, it's probably because there's still a little bit of an issue there. But I do think that they got into a good rhythm, and we saw that more against Detroit probably than any other game I, I can recall. Yeah, one thing that Ron Johnson pointed out um, earlier today was Daniil Hunter, we're kind of lining him up a little more outside, a couple more mm-hmm. steps than just being right on the end. And to for that to happen, the offensive line then has to, the tackle's kind of out on an island there, which then makes the entire line kind of open up and the gaps open up for guys like Shamar Stefan. I mean, Afadio Denebo had a sack in that exact way because he was playing on the inside, not on the end. Um, so the just the effect that Daniil Hunter has on the rest of these young guys is, like, unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
his trajectory now, it's it's hard to figure out where it goes from here. Except I've heard up. Demarcus I mean, Ware from Zimmer. Yeah, I've heard Strahan. I've heard... <laughs> there have been a lot of uh, <laughs> comparisons thrown out there. I remember talking to Andre Patterson during training camp just trying to figure out, okay, well, what's his ceiling, but can you can you mark his ceiling or can you try to gauge where it will be based on other players you've had? And, I yeah. mean, he's coached some really good defensive linemen in his career, but that's kind of the one where he's like, I won't compare him. I'm not going to do him it. that sure. disservice of comparing him because I don't know how much better he can get because every time you see him do something, you're, you're not surprised by it, but yeah. it's like, well, gosh, this guy just did this. What more can he do? Yeah. Um, it's pretty impressive. And I, I think we're kind of watching something like you know, the greatness in the making type thing. I mean, for a guy to have 50 sacks by the time he's 25. It's crazy. Uh, he's got 10 more years of his career. Like, let's not forget <laughs> that. He's going to be like 35 and still playing. Yep. So his trajectory, I'm really excited to see where it goes. Well, I saw a nugget in an article as well talking about uh, where Daniil is at as far as uh, first five years on a on the team in Vikings history. Mm-hmm. He's half a sack behind Keith Millard, yeah. and then he's, what, 20, he's like 22 or 21 behind sacks Allen, behind Jared yeah. Allen. And it's, it's one of those things, like you're saying, I mean, sky's the limit for this kid, especially at the age of 25. Absolutely. So um, as far as your answer goes for uh, our defensive depth is, the answer was questionable in spots. And, and the, the points that you had made are actually kind of what you addressed right yeah, now, was saying corner and safety depth looked a little suspect and just trying to figure out who's going to step up and who's going to you know be able to fill in if it got to the point where we needed to really push the depth at sure. that point. And then the other side was with D-line, you were talking about, will people like Jalen Holmes and Mata Afa mature into their roles? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that is what you just said, will they miss Sheldon Richardson? So seeing how that's she's evolved. She's pretty good. She's, she's pretty good. She's, she's on the ball there, and it's, <laughs> it's trying to make sure that there have been times that you know teams have definitely exploited certain pieces, but at the same point, you've had enough bodies who've gone through all of these different spots that I think they don't necessarily feel too scared to have somebody go in there and say they're not going to be able to make it happen. So Yeah, even an Armin Watts batting the ball against Russell Wilson yeah. and causing it a touchdown for yeah. the first touchdown of the season for the Vikings defense. Let's go to the next one. Stefanski and Kubiak, first year of the marriage there, have found... They have found the formula. Sure. Offensively. I mean... It's pretty evident when you look at this season in two blocks where the first one is weeks one through four. Yep. Inconsistent Kirk, up and down play. They're running the ball 30-plus times against the Falcons, and Kirk's throwing 10 times. And then you've got a game like in Chicago where you know Kirk struggles and he's checking down to the fullback, and it's just like not a good look. But you also have the Raiders game and how good they were coming back against Green Bay. It was just, it was just this hodgepodge. And then there's like then I look at it as weeks five through the current day where it's been a totally different Kirk. Yep. It's been a totally different... Um, approach where you know the run game. Not everything here has to go through the run game, which I think it's it's interesting because I, I write an MVP article every few weeks for ESPN.com, just kind of gauging whose stock is rising, whose is falling. Where's Kirk? Um, Kirk actually just entered the conversation. It's me and eight other seven other writers. We vote one through ten. And um, Lamar Jackson's getting this award. I don't think anybody is going to question that. But the names that enter the conversation or that still kind of hang around, yep. Aaron Rodgers still hanging around, Dak Prescott, despite all the ups and downs. And, He's still putting up yeah, crazy he, numbers. He is. Yeah. I mean, his receivers are the ones who are you know hurting his, his MVP season because they have 23 drops. But Kirk just entered the conversation for the first time this week. And, and I think the reason for that is not everything's – he's not a game manager. He shed that label. Like, I mean, that was a question I posed back, like, week three of the season. Like, is he an $84 million game manager? And um, 
I think that he's proven because of this system, because of the outside zone leading to the play action, leading to more explosive plays, and it's not just predicated on your run game. That's the recipe for success for, for Dalvin Cook, for, for Kirk Cousins, for these receivers. Um, and I bring that up to say, like with the MVP article, like Dalvin's stock technically has fallen like just from our voting. But I think a lot of people think that in the general, in the general sense, it's no knock on what Dalvin's doing, but it's because of Kirk's uptick and what he's been able to do where you're getting ahead in games by passing the ball and not just running the ball. And, and you're able to maintain a pretty explosive attack with tight end screens, running back screens, um, not just relying on Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, that, that's a really good look for, for Kirk Cousins. Your previous answer from before is consistency and stability, especially on the O-line. So that was kind of the focus at that point was, what are we going to get at O-line? What's uh, it going to yeah. be and I honestly think that's, that's probably checking the box because the offensive line, I mean, there have been moments this season where you look and you say, okay, it's still a work in progress, but by and large, this scheme fits this group much better than in, in you know 2018. Yeah, and, and, you know, and my thought was balance and imbalance, yeah. right? Because the whole thing is you show one thing, you do another and then if they're keying off of Dalvin that gives Kirk time to do his thing and if they turn around and drop back in coverage that's when you're hitting Dalvin and and getting big chunks out of it so balancing and balance and the things that the offensive line has done this year Garrett Bradbury guys like I mean I know Pat Elfine gets his fair share of criticism but um, the way they've really blocked for the running game as well as the mm-hmm. passing game. I mean, yeah. these guys are young, and Bri- I mean, my favorite of them all is Brian O'Neill. Yeah, so. no, I mean, they're, it's it's a really good mix, and they have not had to turn to um, a lot of their depth pieces outside of Dakota Dozier because yep. of a few injuries here and there. Like, they've been really lucky to stay healthy. The last one is Cousins' second year is MVP caliber. I, I'm okay. I love it. That's great. Are you so, just being positive because you're on our show? Or no, actually- no. I mean, I think that that's uh, – look at his numbers. Like, he's gonna he's on pace to have a 4,000-yard, 25-touchdown season, another one. Like, he's putting up historic numbers here that could easily rival this type of stuff that you saw last with, what, Brett Favre, Dante Culpepper? Like, yep. this franchise has not had quarterback stability, and they finally are seeing a window for it here. Um, I still think that you judge Kirk on – what happens down the stretch here, like A, get into the playoffs, B, win a playoff game. I mean, those are two more boxes to check for this team for things that he has not done yet to justify maybe an extension of a contract, things like that. But since week four, I mean, we can can laugh about the apology to Adam Thielen and and kind of like the receivers quote-unquote calling him out, things like that. But there is undeniably – that was a turning point for the season. Like, you can look at the season in two halves if you want to, from like one through eight and then eight through 17, but that's not the story here. Not the story quarters. was week five on. Um, that defines kind of where this offense is because, you know, this has been a defensive team yep. since 2014, since Mike Zimmer got here. And I think that even Zim will concede a little bit to be like, this is, you know, we have an offensive identity. Yeah, they invested in the offense clearly in the draft, going with yeah. all those draft picks. Early early draft picks were all on the offense, yeah, not four. on the defense, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, that's been unheard of since I've been here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's just been amazing the way Kirk, the way he spread the ball around, not having Adam Thielen. I mean, he threw the ball yeah. to 11 wide receivers, one being Garrett felt Bradbury. Like a, felt like a preseason game <laughs> yeah, with that one many being, numbers. One being Garrett Bradbury to add to that 11th. But all right, so um, you, it's been unbelievable. Let's hear what she said at the beginning. Your answer from before was Cousins' second year will be better based on personnel and scheme. And the points you made were the scheme is set up to benefit his strengths. And play calling lines up with what they said they wanted to do in the offseason. There was this push in the offseason to try to go a certain way and that you finally started to see that in training camp and it feels like it's kind of come to fruition here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they are – a lot of that plays 
true yeah. to today. I mean, of just like the system that Kirk is in right now, um, it, it's shifted. Like early yeah. on, it was a very run heavy focus. Yep. And now they realize, hey, we don't have to rely on that. Like, we don't need other parts of the offense to bail out our quarterback. Like the way he's playing, and you know, that, it all kind of goes hand in hand. It's not just oh, Kirk's you know doing this all on his own. I mean, he's going to credit the type of game that Kevin Stefanski's calling. He's going to credit the scheme that Gary Kubiak brought here and, yep. and the team's now running. And obviously, the host of playmakers that they put around him—that's huge. You cannot look past that. Absolutely. Like you know. Most teams, like, I mean, look at the Eagles situation. Yeah. Like, they were down to potentially Josh McCown going in at wide receiver the other night. Like, it's this crazy. team has a lot of depth, uh, despite not having Adam Thielen for six weeks. And I think that's the cool thing. They've worked around it. And I'll be curious to see when he's healthy, how they can implement him back in. Yeah. So, we tested you in training camp, and you, you pretty much checked out <laughs> <laughs> up to this point. Thanks. I passed. <laughs> so, now we want to test you going forward. Okay. And the Vikings now sit. At nine and four, they are at the six seed. There's three games left, as everyone knows: Chargers, then home at Green Bay, and then home against the Bears. What is your fill in the blank for where the Vikings will end up this season? I think they stay the six seed. So you I think mean, they, I, I, so they I, won't win the division? No, I do not believe so. Um, and I play around with our playoff machine all the time. It's that fantastic. Thing is addictive. I think it's, so. we were looking at it the other it's, day. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, you get to work on all these scenarios. The way I explained it on a different podcast uh, I did was you know like when you were in finals like in high school and you wanted to maintain a certain grade. It's like well could I get a thirty eight percent on this yeah. final and still get a B plus? <laughs> yeah. Um, I like looking at it from that perspective. But no, I mean. The fact that Week 17 could matter for them getting into the playoffs isn't necessarily a great spot for any team. I don't think fans, like, you know, if you're a fan of this team, you want them to have it locked up before then. But um, it's another measuring stick type thing for Kirk Cousins uh, in the offense that game, and specifically, too, for the defense, considering Chicago seems to have this team's number. Um, But yeah, I do, I mean, I predicted 10 and 6 before the season started. Um, it fluctuated between that and eleven and five. I think they probably are an eleven and five team here. Um, I think that that loss could come against Green Bay. I know that it, they're at home, and I know Rodgers is struggling with some of his weapons right now. He doesn't have a lot of downfield depth, which yep. is why you're seeing so much of their offense go through their run game. Go through their just, running backs, even you know, their running backs as wide receivers. Yeah, I mean yeah. they're running a ton underneath routes, throwing passes. Uh, to running backs out of the backfield. Uh, I don't know how that stands up for the Packers in the playoffs, but, I mean, granted, look at their schedule. Like, yeah. They have a far easier stretch here. The far, yeah. I mean, they're playing a last-place schedule because yep. they were 6-10 last year, so yep. it makes sense. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting to see if there is some way that the Vikings could somehow jump them for the three-seed potentially. I was playing around with that. Yes, me too. Um, and that's the one that I'd be really curious have, about because then they get a home playoff game. Have you seen somewhat how that would shake out at this point? Because <sighs> I, I have. A little bit. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know that it's like the Packers have to lose. Like, does Chicago have to lose to the Chiefs, and then the Packers have to lose to uh, the Vikings here in Minneapolis, and then Minnesota has to win out? Essentially, the three seed from what I've seen is you have to win out. Green Bay has to lose to Chicago. Yes. And then we have and we have to beat Green Bay as part of that winning okay. out part. And it basically because they would have the tiebreaker. Yes, yes, exactly. Chicago, sure. So you would flip flop, and the whole thing at this point is, given what you just said, you, you were predicting ten and six and eleven and five. The fact that that is the razor's edge of being a six seed or not in the NFC is it shows you how like how top heavy the NFC is, and yeah. just 
that separation. I know that the Rams are are chasing this team, yep. um, and they've got a tough stretch too coming down these final three games. But then it's like everyone else, hundred percent. And the fact that Dallas is a six and seven team sitting in the four seed right now, yep. uh, that's. And I wish they would personally change the structure of how they sure. get teams into the playoffs. It's a but little frustrating for yeah, us. Yeah, and sure. I mean, honestly, the Eagles could get in there yes. this weekend. If yeah. they, it's just wild. That that playoff machine was showing me everything from us being the six to the three. Chicago getting in as the six. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philly sliding in. You know, Dallas out, kind of a thing. It yeah. Was, and everything that I was doing, I wasn't trying to do anything that was like super facetious it was trying to be plausible just trying mm-hmm. to make it so it's like okay what realistically could happen and we're like okay what if these two games flip kind of a piece and it was crazy to see how how oh, dynamic yeah. the whole thing was literally one game in the last three week stretch can completely flip the entire uh, picture on its head and to finish this off we could be the first nfc team in nfl history to have the six seed and be 12 and four yeah, that would be the first first time that ever happened. Yeah. So, that is unbelievable. We tested you one more time again, mm-hmm. and hopefully, we'll have you on following a Super Bowl, and then we can kind of throw this all in your face when we're division <laughs> champions. <laughs> so we appreciate it. We appreciate it, Courtney, Thank and uh, we'll catch up with you coming up here as we uh, go through the last couple games of the season. Thank you. All right, that was awesome having Courtney Cronin on the show. She's one of the top beat reporters in the area that covers the Minnesota Vikings. I encourage all Vikings fans to check out her work, and she gives as good as the Vikings insight as you're going to get from the media. So thanks again to Courtney, and I think it's time, Jay, to look forward to next week's game against the L.A. Chargers. Let's look at what we got here with the 5-8 and Bolts. The Minnesota Vikings and Chargers regular season record at this point, we are deadlocked 6-6 all time. And I went through digging through to see exactly what that meant. And there's some really kind of crazy nuggets in here. So no team has won back-to-back games in this series. And when you go through and you look at it, it goes LW, 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 the entire list of all 12 games, which is kind of bananas. So the scary part about that is the last time we played was in 2015 at TCF Bank Stadium. I remember it well. And the Minnesota Vikings won that game. So... Let's buck a trend here and make sure that we get a win against these LA Chargers. You know what? I do want to bring up that game. It was a 31 to 14 victory for the Vikings. It was at TCF Bank Stadium at the time. Philip Rivers was having a spectacular season for that team, and the de- that's when the Vikings defense was really starting to establish its dominance across the league. And the Chargers in that game, they had a few offensive linemen that were injured, and we made Phillip Rivers feel it from the beginning of the game. I think we might have sacked him like eight times in that game. Um, There was a Keenan Allen, and there there certainly was a more nimble Phillip Rivers. The thing about it with that offense is they still have those weapons, and like you said, they're veterans. They're established. They know each other. They know how each other plays. They know if Phillip gets in trouble, what he's looking for down the field. So look for this offense to potentially give you fits if you give Phillip Rivers too much time. Looking at the Chargers offense now, it's a totally, totally different um, group in the backfield. So that's really what I want to focus on. The the uh, Austin Ecklers of the world did not exist in 2015. He is what you call a dual threat running back. Yeah, and they had a guy before named LT who was, you know, Tomlinson was 100% that guy where either he can, you know, kill you up the middle or you're going to throw a little dump pass to him and watch him go for 50. Austin Eckler has been putting both of it together 
he's got 830 receiving yards and eight receiving touchdowns alone, let alone his offensive rushing production. He has been a huge, huge weapon for them this season. Melvin Gordon as well. They had a contract situation at the beginning of the year, which kind of cost him um, the first couple games of the season. But he's back in the fold now. We know that he's one of the more established running backs in the league as well. Yeah, and we all watched him having to play at Wisconsin and the kind of stuff that he did there. The fact that they've now got the combo platter of Eckler and Gordon, who've already put up 1,004 rushing yards, eight rushing TDs, and they are averaging 71.7 yards per game. This is a definite, definite dual threat backfield. Yeah, and the Chargers have some weapons for Phillip Rivers to throw the ball to as well. I mean, Keenan Allen, we addressed him already, but Mike Williams is about as good of a big play threat as there is out there. Yeah, he's a great possession receiver, and you always see Keenan's going to get your double teams because everybody knows what he can do. Mike Williams is that sure-handed guy who can run down the sideline and and snag some toe-drag swag type catches as well. The two of them have combined for 1,788 receiving yards this year, six receiving touchdowns, and they're putting up a 127.7 yards per game. Add in Hunter Henry at the tight end position, who's not having as great of a season, but you have those three guys plus your Ecklers and your Melvin Gordons. They can definitely, definitely do some damage. Yeah, the Chargers have four players with 500-plus receiving yards, so we know that this is an explosive offense. This team is completely eliminated from playoff contention. But they put up 45 points on a Jacksonville Jaguars defense last week, and they're doing things that you really need to scheme against. And what I mean by that is, Jay, they have a running back who can catch the ball, as we noted, Austin Eckler, who's lined up with a Anthony Barr or Eric Hendricks. That's going to cause some matchup problems. Yep, and so what that really means is for a guy like Phillip Rivers, he needs to have his time in order to make those kind of plays. This is where our defensive line can jump in and try to wreak some havoc. Because you know with Phillip Rivers, if you get in his face, he's got four games with two or more interceptions. If you don't, he's got eight games with two or more touchdowns. So he's very, very boomer bust this year. Absolutely. And you don't really remember too many seasons where Phillip Rivers has thrown just five uh, less interceptions as he has touchdowns. I yep. mean, 20, 20 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. It has not been the gunslinger year that we're used to um, from Phillip Rivers. Going to the defensive side of the ball, this is a group that is much improved over the last couple years. I think the best way to describe this defense is their defensive backs and their secondary, they have a lot of players who can make big plays. And, and one of those guys who's back this week from an injury is Derwin James. Derwin James is a complete game changer on that back end. And I, I really do attribute the fact that they're 5-8 and eight this year. They've had a lot of games where they've been in close battles. And I do think a guy like Derwin James is that big of a, a, a difference maker. Think about if Harrison Smith was off of this team. I think that backfield and the secondary would look very, very different for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, and I want to note one thing that the New England Patriots did to this Chargers team in the playoffs last year, because this is a defense that sometimes you'll even see the Chargers defense put like five to six defensive backs on the field rather than playing any linebackers. That's how different it is what they're doing. So the way the Patriots attack that in the playoff game was they pretty much ran the ball down the, down the Chargers' throats. Rather than trying to attack downfield and go at some of these defensive backs, they, they said, we're going to establish the run and we're going to stick with the run. And in that game, Sony Michelle had one of his best games as a New England Patriot. And I think that might be the attack that the Vikings might want to go with. And the numbers this year you know, warrant looking at it that way as well because right now they're 17th against the rush but they're fourth against the pass. So it makes all the sense in the world that you're going to focus on trying to get them up the middle, control the line of scrimmage, 
control the time of possession and really make them pay that way. I'm happy your numbers kind of supported my opinion, That's right. RJ. I You're appreciate welcome. that. You're welcome. But yeah, this is a game where the Vikings need to not look at the record of the Chargers, not think about the fact that they're out of playoff contention. You're going to a stadium where, I mean, maybe generously seats 30,000 people, so it's a small soccer stadium out there in Los Angeles. And we saw when the Packers played them this year, I mean, they most most of the time the road teams with fan bases that travel well, like our Vikings, we know that, they fill this stadium up. And I know some people personally that are actually going out to this one. They're looking for the warmer weather and everything, but they've had this circled on their calendar. To me, this is the beginning of your playoff push. You've been trying to establish what you had to the last couple weeks, but if you think about it, these last three games are as critical as they get to make the playoffs. This is the beginning of your playoff push, and let's make it look like it. I expect good things for the Vikings heading into this game. Mike Zimmer addressed the media on Wednesday, and he seemed very, very confident. So um, another note I want to touch on is the Vikings released the first injury report of the week on Wednesday, and the only player to not practice for the team was Alexander Madison with it, with an ankle injury. So the Vikings are healthy. It's the time of year where no team is fully healthy, and I think the Vikings are in a pretty good spot as Adam Thielen returned to practice in limited fashion on Wednesday. Knock on wood on that one like we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks at this point. Whenever they can get him back, at full go, he's going to be a difference maker, and maybe we'll get a small glimpse into what this offense can be moving into the rest of the season. All right, Chris, let's wrap this sucker up. Pro Bowl voting ends Thursday, so what do you think the fans should do? I want to encourage fans out there to go check out some of the Vikings Entertainment Network content. There have been some videos produced, one for C.J. Ham, as well as one for Dalvin Cook, which is kind of funny and shows him cooking um, in a little cooking studio. He and, and Brian O'Neill. That's right, and they have a special recipe pounding the beef, Jay. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, the best, it was awesome. The best part for me is watching a live studio audience all chanting pound the beef. It was, it was very, very well done by our VEN guys. Check it out, and more than anything, Get your votes in online, social media. Go retweet as much as possible. Get as many per- guys in purple that we can to the Pro Bowl this year. Yeah, I know as we record, Dalvin Cook is currently fourth overall in the NFC. I want to see him kind of move up a little bit. Um, Kirk Cousins needs your support with those 24 touchdowns and four interceptions this year. But we also want to focus on the guys who haven't been there before. C.J. Ham. That is C.J. Ham, the Vikings fullback, leading the way for Dalvin Cook. And, of course, Eric Kendricks, who leads all NFL linebackers with passes defense this year. He is having, I mean, an incredible year, the best year I've seen out of him so far. It's fantastic. And like we said, get as many people in purple jerseys down to Orlando as we can. All right, Chris, what do we got left here for Vikings programming? All right, I just want to give you guys some programming notes. Under Center this week already aired on KFAN on Tuesday night. The guest was Dalvin Cook. So this is one, I mean, this is one that you don't want to miss. Make sure you catch it on the Vikings podcast platforms. If you didn't catch it live, that is one that I would go check out. This is the Minnesota Vikings podcast. You'll also find this on the Vikings podcast network. But I really want to encourage you Vikings fans out there to listen to Skull Stories this week because it was a great guest. The legendary Bud Grant went and sat down with our Mark Rosen. That will air on Thursday night at 6.30 on KFAN. You can also find that after the live show on the Vikings podcast platforms. And, of course, Vikings final prep. 
That will be yours truly and Cy Amundsen recapping all the best sounds of the week as we get you set for that game against the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm really excited this time of year. This is one, everything that you started working on in April, this is why it matters is right now. Conditioning, all the meetings, everything is right now. Playoff push is officially kicked in. This is your last chance to get that critical road win in the regular season. But here's the thing. You're going to need to play on the road coming up for the playoffs. So get a signature win against a very athletic and good defense and a veteran quarterback and set this sucker up for you to go in Monday Night Football against the Green Bay Packers and potentially, potentially grab the division title. Thank you, Jay. And uh, let's get that purple in the stands in Los Angeles. I know it's very, very cold out here in Minneapolis. Get away from that negative five weather. Go out there and get some sun and watch a Vikings victory over the Los Angeles Chargers at 3.05 p.m. We'll see you here next week.